Welcome to the Real Clear Values podcast with Tom English. This is a podcast about values, the good, the bad, and the ugly. In this episode, I speak with Brian Grimm, who is the president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation known as RFBF. My conversation with Brian is very much centered at the intersection between faith, religion, and society. We talk about the importance of people bringing their whole souls to work, the value of religion itself, the role of religion in shaping society's values, and some of the more contemporary issues around religious nationalism and the entanglement between demagogic leaders and religion as well. There's plenty that we talk about here on the theme, so if you are interested at all in the intersection between religion and society, then this is one for you. Enjoy. Brian Grimm, thank you so much for your time to speak on the Real Clear Values podcast. So glad to be with you, Tom. It's great to be catching up, Brian. And I'm really particularly interested in speaking with you because you, I imagine, have got a lot to say. Well, you certainly have said a lot about the value of religion. And it's something that I think is very topical at the moment in the world that we live in and how we look at different religions, how we look at the interactions between different religious people and people who are non-religious as well. So, Brian, you are the president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. So perhaps a good place to start is if you tell us a little bit about your organization and the mission that it that it serves. Yeah, so uh, the main purpose of the organization is to help people see that when everybody is free to have a faith or change their faith or even have no faith at all, uh, that that has positive benefits for society uh, both socially and economically, and even mm. security-wise. So uh, where you have a society that's characterized by giving each other that kind of freedom, uh, you have less conflict, less violence, and mm. where there's more peace and stability, that's good for everything, right? <laughs> not not yeah, just yeah. good for uh, our own lives and the pursuit of, you know, pursuit of our dreams, but it's also good for business, uh, except mm. for bullet and bomb makers who profit off of violence. Uh, mm. You know, most most normal business uh, is really spurred on by peace and security. Uh, so yeah. that's that's one mission to share with share those empirical findings with others. And then <clears throat> we work directly with some of the biggest companies in the world, uh, many of whom you know name brands you would recognize. Uh, helping them to make their workplace an environment just like that as well. So mm -hmm. where you have a workplace where people, uh, as the mantra goes, bring their whole self to work, or yeah. as Hadi Sharifi, he's the head of the Muslim group at the Intel Corporation, he says, bring our whole soul to work. Mm. Uh, then, and, and or whatever your beliefs are, it can be if you're an atheist to not have to hide that. If you're a Baha'i, not have to hide that. If you're a Wiccan, not have to hide that. Mm. Or if you're an evangelical Christian, not have to hide that. So whatever mm. the uh, faith or belief, when you don't, when you feel like you're, that that's welcome, uh, that creates a, a, an environment where you want to give your whole soul to work, so to speak. And yeah. what employer wouldn't like that? <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. And, it, and, it, and it works better for the people are more motivated. So 
it's they they're retained so it's good for retention it's also good for recruitment because people will hear oh that company welcomes people like me me and my kind whatever my background is and then that results in increased revenue because you've got teams uh, more motivated you know people and you also have teams who are accustomed to um, sort of sharing on deeper levels of values and beliefs and and that creates a different kind of relationship than when you when your only conversation is limited to the work product you know then mm-hmm. you know your workers better you feel like you want to stand up for them you'll you'll even want to serve them you know and be part part of uh, a helping environment so that's mm-hmm. in short what the foundation does we you know we work on um, sort of the studies to show that this is good for business, good for society, mm-hmm. and then working with businesses to see practical ways that they can implement this in ways that then not only um, are a model for society, but can spill out over into society so that what happens in a company that's good can benefit all of society as well. Mm. This is really interesting, this idea that you can quantify and make a business case in favor of this, in favor of faith, in favor of, of religion and people bringing, like you say, the whole selves, the whole souls into the workplace. So so how do you how do you go about showing that? What sort of evidence do you adduce to, to, to show and make the case that that this is a good thing? So uh, different kinds of evidence, uh, three different kinds. One is just general studies across companies, McKinsey and company uh, do a lot of uh, workforce uh, satisfaction, workforce retention um, Mm. studies, and where people are able to bring their whole self, their whole soul to work, uh, it results in more effective, diverse teams. So you can have Mm. a diverse team, but if they're all hiding, you know, their, their identities from each other, then what's the benefit of that diversity? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so that's um, so that's one like the McKinsey and Company does that. A second is that in some of our own studies, we looked at uh, where you have so uh, religious diversity included as part of the uh, you know diversity, equity, and inclusion. So where religions included, does that result in more? Um, emphasis on other diversity categories like race and gender and sexual orientation and disabilities, things like that? And the answer is yes. So where you've included faith, it doesn't diminish from other um, diversity categories. In fact, it sort of buttresses it because people Mm. of faith often become allies of others just out of you know, from their um, sort of moral teachings. Not that other people aren't moral. No, not at mm-hmm. all. But but when you are allowed to bring your faith, so, so to speak, to work, then all the things that whatever your faith is, the golden rule, treat others as you would have them treat yourself, mm-hmm. you know, at a very basic, then it's like, oh, I, I need to be accountable how I act to my neighbor yeah. You know, yeah. uh, who's a coworker. So, it, it it then brings in other, you could say, um, virtues that people to aspire to, brings that into the workplace. And then the, the, the third is just uh, the accumulation of case studies. So often in business, that's how you teach, you know, if you're a business student, 
what's the case study for this? So we have just uh, case study after case study of companies that have done this and mm. the, the results from that. Uh, and, and the results are overwhelmingly positive. And I'll, I'll just footnote that it doesn't mean that this happens automatically. Mm. You know, you can't, um, you know, if you just say, oh, we're gonna do religion at work. What does that mean? You know, I mean, yeah. we're going to start having, you know, mass. You know, I'm Catholic, so you know, we're going to start crossing ourselves, you know, before every board meeting. You know, what what does that mean? And mm. so, I think the companies that do this well have thought about it deeply as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and and it's not about replicating church or mosque or synagogue or whatever your faith is, and it's not about being pro religion above pro non-religion it's just giving mm. people a faith uh, a space where they can feel comfortable and include belief in that so if mm. someone's an atheist those beliefs it's different than an agnostic right because agnostic mm. is like well I'll, i'm not quite sure i i'll, I'll stay open maybe uh, you know my yeah. views may change whereas if you say i'm an atheist you've come to a you know a firm um you know belief and so, you know, that can be just as welcoming uh, within, you know, uh, uh, this faith and belief category. Um, yeah. But yeah. again, you have to think about that. You know, can does mm. re including religion mean we exclude non-believers? No, quite the opposite. It, it mm. makes a space for, you know, whatever your belief system is to also have a voice. Yeah, very interesting. Interesting at, at enabling and empowering, if you like, each individual to to really come as as they are and not feel like they have to compartmentalize themselves into to work yeah. you know who they are at work versus who they are elsewhere in the rest of their lives especially with things that are so fundamental as as religious beliefs or, or non-beliefs for that matter because there are people who are passionately not believers in, in yeah. like manner so this is quite interesting brian I'm, I'm interested in the question as well about religion and where it is in society today where it is in the world today and very much your your work seems to me <clears throat> broadly speaking I, I watched your TEDx talk as well it very much seems about defending religion as well and not just like you like you already alluded to not just one particular religion so this isn't you just defending Christianity or the Catholic Church you're talking much more broadly than that so right. I'd like to talk a little bit now to the need for a defense of religion is there is there a need for that and and if so why and what does it look like well i would say that the greatest defense of religion is to truly practice one's faith mm. uh, and so so just from my faith and it's not i mean it's similar to what other faiths teach um what are the two greatest commandments you know jesus mm. was asked that once and uh, the answer was well to love God with all your whole heart, soul, and strength and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. And so, you know, in, in that, if I'm loving my neighbor, um, that is the best, you could say, defense of religion. Because if religion is not doing what it's supposed to be doing as a mm. believer, I won't say religion, religion's you know, that's uh, a big term, but just yeah. each, each person and their faith not living that out on the very basic commandments, um, yeah. the basic, 
not, and they're not even commandments like you know, that, you know, that's pretty straightforward. Love God, love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that you can do a lot with that. And so yes. if you think of a workplace, well, what would that mean if I'm starting at a new job or I have a job, what would that sort of principle mean in my workplace? Well, it means whenever I see somebody who's having a tough day, hey, can I help? Mm. You know, or I see that you're, um, you didn't quite get that pro- you know, project done right. right. Um, could I give you some tips or could I help you? You know, instead of mm. looking for a way to undercut the other guy, you know, sure. <laughs> or uh, yeah. so, so if you, there's no, does that love need defense? Mm. Mm. it's a good question because do i what holds me back from putting those two most important commandments according to my faith tradition Mm. uh, to practice Mm. nothing right i mean Mm -hmm. you can lock me in chains please don't but (laughs) you can can lock me in chains and say you're gonna die tomorrow Mm. and i still practice the two core tenements, tenets of my faith. Mm. Absolutely. I can still love that neighbor um, and I can still love God. That might be challenging to do in that situation, mm. but you know, in that's what sort of so many stories of saints and, and other people who have lived that way. And, um, and in my faith tradition, you know, we call them blessed today for mm. having lived such a life. So, I mean, there's other sides to your, many other, you probably didn't expect that answer the question that way. Um, no, it's, no, it's very, it's a very good answer. And it's one that I think cuts right to the, to the heart of the, the, the best defense that, that one can, can present or, or muster against, against an attack is, is in the action. It's in, it's in the principle. It's in the thing that is irrefutable and, and love, love, if it really is love is irrefutable. You can't, make a good case against it you can't look at it you can't look at its antithesis and say that that is a better alternative than love and so it is irrefutable so so on that grounds alone you've you've kind of won the argument in terms of is this a good thing or not yeah Um, what what i would say as well is that that it, it shines a light on things as well it shines a light on where the possible attacks are coming from and the nature of those attacks because sometimes they come from a place of of real malevolence and i think that it it's useful to be able to from your point of view and from mine as well because i'm i'm also a christian although from a different denomination to show that that christ-like forbearance Mm -hmm. and perseverance as well now and and that is it takes an incredible amount of self-control to do that especially when under duress but but it really is irrefutable you cannot you can't argue against it. And people have tried to argue against it. I mean, goodness, yeah. if you read the works of Nietzsche, for example, he, he gave it a pretty good crack. If, if you read his, his works and how he, he really did argue against what he called slave morality, because he mm-hmm. saw this as, you know, he saw things <laughs> as such as love and service and kindness and forgiveness as being subversions to the, the masters, the nobles, the noble class of, of Romans, so to speak. Now, I mean, it's it's a real leap that that he yep. presents, but he he gave it as as good a shot as as he could, and he came up short essentially. That there is no there is no solid 
argument against love. So in terms of defending religion, if that's what you really believe and, and love is at the core of it, then that, that's an excellent answer. I'd just like to dig in a little bit more, Brian, on some of the some of the threats that are posed to religion, maybe from 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 wider forces, from from governments and and other such such groups. What what are those threats today? What do they look like today? And how's that changed since you gave your TEDx talk? I think it was in 2013, wasn't it? So so nearly 10 years ago now. Yeah, um, yeah, I have a little more gray. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one of, I mean, in that TEDx talk, uh, it was given at the Vatican. It was, at a, uh, it was an interesting event in itself. And, you know, I pointed out the two different ways that sort of religious freedom is under attack or where you can find religious freedom constrained. And one is by the actions of governments, uh, policies, laws, or practices, uh, even if they're not codified. <clears throat> and then societal actions that are sort of social hostilities involving religion. Uh, that can be everything from trying to you know, prevent other religions from being able to operate in your neighborhood or your country, uh, mm -hmm. or you know, hate uh, uh, acts motivated by hatred, whether it's you know, physical abuse or other types of abuse. So I, the, the biggest thing that has changed over the past decade, you could say, was really the, the rise of these social hostilities. Um, mm. and, and they have, they, have, uh, they have changed in different forms. And, and so they're different. Uh, government restrictions are um, you know, about the same. So, that, so sort of this rise of social hostilities is fed, was fed at the, after 9-11, Mm. Uh, September 11, 2001, that's when we really saw a lot of that social hostility involving Islamic related or uh, terrorism. Uh, so that was a driving force. It was both the uh, religion related terrorism uh, and the societal response to that. The, so you got the you know, action and reaction uh, yep. to that. So that, that was the driving narrative um up you know up until a few you know maybe six years ago but uh, around that time we've really seen the rise of religious nationalism and mm. so so those uh those forces uh some of which might seem benign but um usually they aren't because mm. um you know religion doesn't have you know religions do not come out of or are limited to a country mm. or nationality um, or an ethnic group or, or anything like that. So mm. they aren't, if I can say this, they're not designed to be the uh, owned by a particular, you know, nationality, mm. race or, or, um, or, or other grouping. And so we've been seeing that with, you know, that was with the mass migration after the Middle East, the different conflicts. Um, then there was a reaction not just against Islamic terrorism, but about against immigration. So that immigration, that attempt to keep our country purely whatever it is, um, then starts to treat the other and their religion as an enemy. Mm. Uh, so these are these are factors that, uh, of course, operate throughout history, but 
have come to the fore um, in, in, a, in a variety of ways, in a variety of countries. So in Europe, mm. uh, this has been a trend. Um, and then in the United States, a trend in certain Latin American countries, a trend. And then uh, you get to you know, countries like India where Hinduism is uh, sort of the more nationalistic brand of Hinduism is growing stronger. And then in China, where eighth state atheism, again, remember going back to the beginning of our conversation, mm -hmm. atheism itself is a religion-like belief system. Mm -hmm. And so it's a state monopoly. Uh, but if you look what's happening inside China now, they're whipping up national fervor to, this, to the nation state, which is atheist. Mm -hmm. So that takes on a religious connotation. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the United States, the um, sort of with the Donald Trump and his presidency, you know, there's also uh, whipping up a nationalism, a Christian nationalism mm -hmm. uh, that I know that that's controversial, but, you know, these, you know, yeah. these events happened on July 6th, um, yes. uh, last, I'm sorry, January 6th, where mm -hmm. there was an attack on the U.S. Capitol and um, you know, outside before that, as that attack was happening and before people were chanting, Christ our King, Trump our president, Christ our King, Trump our president. So mm. not, not that all people in that crowd were um, doing that, but, you know, that, that, that's concerning, right? That, yeah. that yeah. You're, you're justifying your religion you're really, you feel like your religion justifies aggression and, mm. and in fact, uh, hate. So that's become the big problem in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, sorry, sorry to cut in yeah. there, Brian. Just, just on that point, I think this is so interesting. Like you say about justifying hate, I think yeah. there's something more insidious than that, though, isn't there? It, it's like the, there are these kind of demagogic characters like Trump and, you know, the, the Chinese state and 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 those who would put themselves up in pretty much an omnipotent position themselves, they would say, I am, I am the authority here on earth, so to speak. But the, it's almost as though there's this kind of insidious association that they've made with these particular groups. And so it's assumed that if you are a part of this group, or if you are a believer in X, Y, or Z, or if you're part of this, then this is your guy, this is your party. And it, I find it incredibly interesting, especially when, you know, talk, talking um, about the history of the 20th century, for example, and someone like Carl Jung, who was, who was reflecting on, on the tw you know, two world wars that he lived through and thinking about how the state was actually supplanting God. So yeah. uh, there's, there's a fascinating quote in, in one of his final books that he, that he wrote, which I've recently been reviewing called The Undiscovered Self where he says, you can, take, um, you can take away a man's gods, but only to replace them with others. And, and his great fear was that the state was taking the place of, of God and it was, yeah. it was supplanting religion. And, and that was having a detrimental impact on the individual, yes. so to speak. And so, so you end up with these mass people. And he, he, was, he was scared to death before he died, reflecting on the, the atrocities of the, the, the two world wars. He was scared to death that, that of what one madman can do with an organized mob 
of people who who lack self-knowledge and who are quite fanatical in, in supporting that particular agenda. So so that's what we're seeing here, but but we're not just seeing it in terms of the the um the state replacing God. We're seeing it like you say in <laughs> relation to, to 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 Trump and this idea that okay, well, yeah, we're for Christ. And so because we're for Christ, we're also for Trump. And and this is creating this is creating division not only in societies versus believers, non-believers, but also within different denominations themselves. Because you've got people within those denominations who are saying, "No, no, no, that's that's not what I'm signed up to. I believe in Christ as well, and and you yeah. know, Christ is King." But Trump, no, forget it. So, 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 how do you see some sort of way out of this? How can we kind of extricate ourselves from this this entanglement that that demagogic leaders and strong men seem to to be intent on on promoting yeah well i just uh, to have your watchers be aware of an article they could read on this just came out um this uh yesterday uh it's in the atlantic called the evangelical church is breaking apart christians must reclaim jesus from his church um, and so it's a it's written by peter Weiner, who was a speechwriter for the past uh, Republican presidents, uh, Reagan, uh, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush, and mm -hmm. himself of evangelical. And he, he goes through and, you know, he talks in, in different ways with lots of examples about what we were just talking about. And I, the, you know, his plea is Christians have to bring Jesus back into church, mm -hmm. in other yeah. words. Uh, you know, they've replaced it that politics uh, has become more of a uh, passion than than Christ, you know, mm. than loving, loving God and loving your neighbor. Um, and, and he so that's an interesting article to read. So I think that the the answer is in greater uh, personal um, relationship to, mm. to to our faith. Mm -hmm. uh, and to the core of our faith, and I, I can only speak from my own faith perspective, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, I know how easy, you know, it's when, when you're worshiping a God that, you know, you can't actually see physically, um, mm -hmm. uh, aside from, you know, apparitions and, and, you know, certain things that people might experience, um, you know, it's, it's so much easier to to have your diet filled with cable news or, you know, the next thing that'll reinforce um, uh, messages that the other guys are the enemy, the other guys are wrong. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, like in journalism, there's a saying, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. Because people, mm -hmm. you know, if you can have read a story, mass murder strikes again, or um, local local nun uh, keeps doing good work in the soup kitchen. You know, which yeah. one will you likely read? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and you know, no matter even how, you know, that that's just a temptation to gravitate towards the more sensational. And so I think that this demonization of the other side, whichever side you're on, um, mm. is really a problem. And one of the solutions, if, if you want to talk about expanding this out to what it means to love our neighbor, um, I'm working on a, with uh, a, a team of people and organizations on rolling out a better understanding of covenantal pluralism. Mm. And, uh, and pluralism, you know, is 
is that productive engagement. It's not just diversity, you know, but yeah. it's that where you have many different voices uh, creating a society that's stronger than it would be if yeah. everybody only ate vanilla ice cream, so to yeah. speak. Great, greater than the sum of its parts, you might say. Yeah, that's pluralism. And then covenantal, the piece of that means that we covenant together, or we agreed to stand up for each other's uh, ability to have our beliefs and act on those beliefs uh, yeah. and behaviors without necessarily lending moral equivalency to the other's belief. So, yeah. so you know, my, uh, you know, whatever, I, I might have a Baha'i friend and I want to stand up for their right to have those beliefs, but it doesn't mean I have to agree with that mm. faith perspective, but it also means when I engage with them and I support them and respect them and help protect them, um, I might be blessed in that process. <laughs> you know, that yeah. it, it's, I might also learn something from them uh, yeah. that, that is beneficial to my own faith. And, and to have that perspective requires spiritual, um, spiritual depth, spiritual mm. confidence that, that to relate to somebody else who has a different belief than me doesn't challenge my faith and mm. it, it doesn't threaten my faith. Um, yeah. Even if that person is a person who's against all faith yeah. to, you know, if you're, if you're with an atheist and well, how'd you come to that belief? Mm. You know, you, you know, just ask any atheist, they'll be glad to tell you and they'll sure. be glad to ask. And you'll learn something of, that will help you understand. Well, I see, I see where you came from. I, mm. and it's usually a hurt or, you know, not always, you know, sometimes they had a bad experience with religion. Um, but it's, you to understand how somebody else sees what we collectively call our faith um, mm. is only helpful uh, to better yeah. understand and respond. So that's, you know, this covenantal pluralism. Um, it really requires you to be comfortable in your own skin in your yes. own faith yeah yeah and, definitely and i think that that's the real that's why christian or you know hindu nationalism christian nationalism whatever the nationalism uh, islamic nationalism that becomes so much easier because what do you have to do all you have to do is hate the other guy and mm. shout for my in my side yeah. yeah but to engage in that engaged covenantal pluralism Mm. requires me to actually own my faith and its values and hope that my faith and values actually has something to say to the other person. And yeah. that, that, that only comes if you're, you're living your faith out, not just yes. acting, acting. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Absolutely. A lot to think about that. I, I've got to, I've got to play devil's advocate here, Brian, because I know, I know a lot of people are asking this question, right now and that is we talk about christian nationalism we talk about hindu nationalism we talk about all this tribalism involving yeah. religion wouldn't it be better just to put religion aside and religion religious identity aside altogether cut out the middleman so to speak and just cultivate a direct relationship with god well what happens i mean that's a good theory in practice, what happens is when you try to not let religion have a place, it forces its way back in and, and then attempts to force itself out. And that 
ends up in a in a war, you could say. Um, so if if something is so deeply held, you know, within a person, and they're forced to put it under a table, mm. um, you know, eventually that's going to rub them really raw, you know. Sure, sure. And so if you if that if it were saying okay, we're not going to talk about you know who won the match last night we're just going to stop talking yeah. about that um yeah maybe for some people it might rub them raw but okay i can understand that mm. you know uh whether it's arsenal or man U or you know whatever yeah, the yeah. teams are you know yeah we'll, we'll leave that outside the door we know that's <laughs> yeah you know, we know that doesn't cut to the to the soul of our personhood we can you know, sure. not, not bring that into the workplace. That's a little bit different than, okay, I'm, you know, when we want my faith to remain outside, here's a, here's an example why that just is a, not only um, can't be done because people can't pull their soul out. That would be awful. Mm. But on 9-11, on our website, you can see some of these videos. On 9-11, the, the, in New York City, the women... Uh, who were the 911 call operators, the emergency call um, that goes into them. And we did a documentary with them just uh, on the anniversary of 9-11 this year. And they were saying that they were on the phone with people in the towers and, and they weren't going to get out. Mm. And they realized they were, this was it. And they said, will you pray with me? Yeah. And if you can't bring your faith to work, what happens when there's an emergency mm. and your coworker, you know, well, these happen all the time. Your, you know, your coworker parent dies, mm -hmm. you know, you know they, they have a deeper need um, or they find out they have cancer or, or, you know, whatever the, the light or their, their kid just, you know, did something landed in jail. You know, people have deep needs that mm. that faith um, doesn't provide all the answers, but mm. uh, it does. It does provide answers. And so, like this morning, the, the the chief flight controller at American Airlines is also a chaplain, and he's an Anglican mm. priest. And he's a certified pilot. And also he's the guy that moves all the planes around the skies. <clears throat> and this morning he sends out a devotional every week. And this morning his devotional was that he got so angry when his father later in life went totally blind and he got angry at God and got angry at, um, you know, he's angry at the illness. And then his dad said, look, don't get angry. I have, I have better vision than you do because I can see things clearly mm. and and so you know right right there uh, you had that that sense that here's somebody completely blind and we might get angry about it but then that person has such a perspective and they can mm. share that uh, they can share that perspective so faith mm. comes into you know comes into life and if we disassociate it uh, you know the people, so many people are um, addicted these days. So many people are yeah. suicidal, um, depressed, 
Mm. And uh, certainly faith, you know, speaks to that. Yeah. Uh, maybe faith sometimes contributes to that if, if they have a Possibly. Bad, yeah, but, yeah. But at the same time, um, there's so many people are helped by that and they have resources within them that can help like that perspective on blindness. Mm. Uh, mm. So I think if you try to remove religion, that adds to more conflict. Yeah. Uh, and it, it makes people remove a really important part of themselves from from their mm. normal way they would interact yeah um, yeah so so that so that speaks quite strongly to the organization in terms of religion like in terms of the work that you do what about yeah. what about the individual what about the person who is looking at the news the reading the news or whatever and they're thinking this religion is just the source of so much that's wrong in the world. It's the source of so much contention, so much tribalism, so much division, so much war, so much hatred, so much anger. I'm going to step away. I was, I might've been raised a Catholic. I might've been raised goodness knows what, but I'm going to step away from religion altogether. And I'm going to cut out the middleman, so to speak. And I'm going to go directly to God and I'm not going to affiliate with the religion anymore. I, I might be a Christian still. I might still read the Bible myself and I'll pray to God. What would you say to that person in favor of the value of religion and the value of retaining their religious affiliation? Well, in my, I'll just give a personal example. So in my own life, I try to practice Jesuit uh, Ignatian spirituality. So I don't mm. know if you're familiar with that, but you know, there's um, it's, it's a kind of mindfulness where you you reflect on the day and you uh, try to identify where you, wh what parts of the day were drawing you closer to God, then that's called a consolation and what parts or activities drew you further away from God. And that's mm -hmm. called a desolation. Um, and a consolation could be, you know, that you get fired from your job. Why? Well, because that job was eating you alive. And so mm. it doesn't, a consolation doesn't always mean that it's, you know, sort of a cruise to the benefit um, mm -hmm. in a worldly sense. So, you know, I try to live my life that way, but last week I was really busy I, and I just wasn't able to, you know, spend time praying, you know, if I just on my own and I went to mass yesterday and, you know, that I was reconnected. And mm. if it were just up to me, uh, mm. I mean, I, I, with, I was in a church with big organ and a beautiful choir and, um, and just, just the, the fact we had, you know, multiple priests there for, and the fact that people were living that faith out. Um, and I got to join that, even though my week felt somewhat disassociated mm. from my faith in some ways. Um, if I didn't have that organized faith, I would be a, a poorer person, you know, spiritually because mm. of it. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's just a personal uh, anecdote, but uh, there, I, that's actually, I'm a Catholic convert. I used to be Baptist. And okay. part of the reason I became Catholic was that there's so many, so much variety in the Catholic church, like Jesuits, you know, Ignatian spirituality, or Franciscans, or yes. Benedictines, and um, and you know, each has a different sort of vocation or calling. Um, and then you know, there it's a sort of a 
universal church. I can go to mass anywhere in the world and I mm. know what's going on, <laughs> but yeah. even if I don't understand the language. And, you know, all of those things are meaningful. Um, and then, like, we, you mentioned my TEDx talk at the Vatican. Well, that was right. <clears throat> I stayed in the same hotel that Pope Francis stayed in when uh, he found out he was being elected as Pope. And mm. he went back to that same hotel and paid his bill. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, you know, to, so for me, you know, there's, there's a church leader who's humble. I mean, that's, mm. that is core to what Christianity is all about. You know, God, mm. you know, one of our teachings is, you know, Christ is God. Mm. And he came down, humbled himself, taking on the likeness of, uh, of yeah. uh, humans. So humility. And so I, I, you know, I connect to that. So if I wouldn't be connected to my faith, uh, you know, these experiences by being in the same place Pope Francis was and being mm. going to mass yesterday, I, I wouldn't have the same richness to my faith mm. that I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I like that answer. I like that idea that people need people. It's all very well us being left to our own devices <laughs> and okay, here's the Bible. Here's the manual. Here's the, the scripture that you that you read and that you study from within your particular faith, just get on with it. it. It strikes me as insufficient because we always need each other. And, and it's not just about what we need, but it's also about what we have to contribute as well, because we go to these groups, not just to take, 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 but also to bring something as well, to, to, to look at the people who are struggling and actually be able to serve. It, it strikes me that when I go to church, I, I associate with people who, in the regular course of my life, I would never have anything to do with, not because I, I don't like those people, but because I don't work with them. They're not in the same sort of group. They don't live directly in the same neighborhood. And it brings people together from quite disparate areas of life. So even though, yes, we're united in, in terms of faith, there's still so much diversity within that particular, that particular group as well. Um, I want to talk a little bit about value specifically, Brian, because I think there is something, going back to that question, that kind of hypothetical question I asked about the, the value of religion or the value of religion to the individual and why an individual shouldn't just discard their, their religious belief and, and deal directly with God, so to speak. I, th I think there's something to be said about values as well, and it's something that I alluded to him earlier, and, and I think it's quite useful to, to look at what he has to say on this in, in relation to Nietzsche, uh, the, the, the German philosopher of the, the 19th century. And he, he talks about, in one of his books, I think it's The Twilight of the Idols, he talks about values in relation to society. And, and he, was actually, he was actually pretty terrified about the, the disintegration of, of values and, and this idea of the death of God, as he called it, was terrifying to him and he wasn't particularly gleeful about the, the death of God and borderless horizons and the handrails falling off. He was actually pretty frightened about it and, and what it would actually mean when it came into play. But one particular thing that he wrote, which really interests me, is he talks about the English and he says that for the Englishman, morality is not yet a problem. So even though in the time that Nietzsche was writing, English society was becoming less religious and more secular. Nominally, there might have been religion, but, but people were, in terms of their actual beliefs and what they actually believe in, whether they believe in God and Christ and all the rest of it, they're actually becoming more secular. But Christianity was so well embedded in the 
societal institutions that people didn't even know that they were living it. So yes. people were living Christian values without even knowing it because it was so well embedded. And, and Nietzsche's point was actually, it's not immediately, you know, morality is not immediately a problem because of this, because of this integratedness. And it just concerns me now. We see we see so much commotion in the world and so many, there is such a vacuum. And I feel as though the things that, that people like Dostoevsky, Nietzsche and Carl Jung wrote about in the 19th and 20th centuries now seem to be now seem to be coming into play. We're, we're now seeing those things come to fruition where there really is a vacuum. There really does. And I, and I don't want to be too alarmist about this, but I do feel like there is a values vacuum where it's almost like anything's up for grabs. And, and what is the source of authority? Who do we look to? You know, if we don't if we don't trust the church, if we don't trust the government, we don't trust all these institutions, many of which were put in place by FDR under his under his leadership to prevent things like World War II happening again. Who do we look to? Who do we trust if we can't trust any of these these organisations? So it, so it strikes me that the value of religion is really illustrated in that. It's really illustrated in the fact that there is this vacuum, and so many people are looking at where their anchors are, where can they hang their hat, you know, what is the sure foundation? And I know Christians talk about Christ in that context, and, and that has been the foundation for, for a lot of, of Western society for, you know, a couple of thousands of years. So I, I think about this and I think, how can we, do you have any thoughts on, on how that can be revived in any way, in terms of how we can maybe make the values that religion espouses, the positive values, things like you were talking about, you know, love your neighbor, golden rule. How do you think we can maybe extract the essence of those principles from religion and make them more accessible to people who are looking to find their way in the world, so to speak? Well, uh, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'll just give it, I mean, I could give lots of thoughts, but the one place I see this working so um, so productively and and somewhat counterintuitively are in some of the biggest corporations in America. Mm. So where they've opened the door in their diversity programming to allow faith as part of that, um, the the value people and I alluded to this earlier. Then people have this extra set of conscious conscience that they're allowing to operate because, you know, if I say, oh, you're a Christian, you know, you let everybody know work, you're a Christian. Well, you should behave like a Christian. Well, that's, that, that's a check and balance, isn't it? Mm, so, sure. um, because now, or you're a Baha'i or you're a Muslim. Well, you mean that's what all Muslims do? You know, then all of a sudden you're a representative for everything that is of that faith. Um, mm. And that is actually a, a, a values check and balance because then you're trying to live up to what the ideal of a, of, yeah. a, a person of faith is. So our, our senior corporate advisor for the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation is Kent Johnson. He was senior counsel, you know, senior lawyer at Texas Instruments, a big tech company, uh, for 37 years. Um, and mm. and he was also instrumental in bringing faith into the workplace. Mm -hmm. And he did that um, at the same time their LGBT pride group was getting established and he was setting up their Christian group. 
And the company said, well, you, we don't want any conflict. You guys work together. And mm. lo and behold, the head of the LGBT group was a Christian too. So then, mm. then they started working together um, and they aligned values. They, they found a lot of common interest. And then as time went on, they found that religion didn't conflict with other things like, you know, the, the pride group. In fact, half of the pride group are also Christian, which is mm. statistically, you know, 50% of LGBT people, at least in America, or identify as Christian. Um, mm. And so, you know, they were found they had shared values that they wouldn't have known about if they couldn't bring their faith to work. And then that created bonds that have lasted to this day. That that guy's name was Steve Lyle. He's retired too, but they re, they remain fast, you know, friends uh, through yeah. the years. Even though Ken, you know, he's wouldn't, you know, that's, you know, in his theology, he wouldn't have a category in his church for same-sex marriage. Uh, mm -hmm. Steve's married to a guy, but they found so many other areas where they shared common beliefs yeah. and values. Yeah. So, and then the last point I'll make on, on Kent's story, Texas Instruments, Kent said that he knew that he could observe that as faith came in, was allowed to be an identifier of people self-identifying in the company, that then that when, the, when some ethical problem came up, like they noticed a design flaw in some a product they were making, instead of sweeping it under, they they were more vulnerable with each other and they also felt like they had you know god's watching so to speak yeah. and and then uh they addressed them rather than sweep them under the carpet which would be a bigger problem mm. um, so he you know he he could identify that so i think that um having a place where we can have have the virtues um you know sort of the in Catholics, we have seven cardinal virtues. And, you know, so letting those virtues like love and grace and, you know, and uh, care for the poor and those kind mm. of uh, feeding the hungry, letting those uh, acts of mercy, uh, or they're also called virtues, um, have a place, you know, then, then that changes things. And it, that yeah. also goes back to love because the the graces or the mercies are all acts of love mm. and mm. so i think that that's how to bring religion back is to get religion focused on acts of love charity charity another word for you know love and and yeah. acts of mercy rather than um battling on battling on ethical issues yeah absolutely absolutely yeah focusing focusing on the action and and that's the thing that that's one thing that strikes me when I read the New Testament is that the scripture in James that says faith without works is dead doesn't mean yeah. anything. So this whole this whole idea that I say that I'm a Christian, therefore I'm on Trump's side or I'm with Putin or whoever is complete nonsense because faith without works is dead. And that's that's just that's just idle talk. If I if I align myself based on some sort of tribal identity, yeah. it really is. It really is. I mean, if people really believe it, if people are really committed to it, then that belief in God, that faith in God is the ultimate check and balance, if you like, because it enables self-governance because this, yeah. God, God's always watching. Right. It doesn't matter, you know, if, if I'm in the presence of, of my boss or my wife or, or not, 
because God is always there. And ultimately, I will be accountable to him. Right. I just want to I just want to shift things slightly because we're, we're coming to the end of time now. I just want to ask you really quickly, just what, what's one of the best examples that you've seen? We, we've talked a lot about love and the positive impact that, that faith can have in relation to the beliefs and the values. What is one of the most powerful examples that you've witnessed yourself of faith in action? Oh, um, well, I've seen so many. Um, I think that the, the most powerful examples are when people are acting when others are not watching um, mm. and they're acting and I, I this might I, I don't mean to be cliche but um, you know the, the saint in my family is my wife not me <laughs> and I mean she's 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 got a job but she um, in a way that was different than me she selflessly um, you know, raised our four kids. They were born in China. We lived in China, the Soviet Union, when it was the Soviet Union, and uh, and in the Middle East. And so, you know, just over and over, it was just those daily acts of faith in God that um, our, you know, our kids. They learned to write in Chinese before they learned to write in English. Mm. Um, she was sure they'd never learn. <laughs> learn our native language or at least be pretty handicapped in it and um but they've all you know they've got a one's got a law degree one's got a medical degree one's a physicist and one's a you know a nurse you know they all they all mastered the language and and you know accomplished but that you know just that kind of faith that there was in in her life to mm. uh, you know take what was really the focus of her life and trust God with it. Um, mm. It was amazing. So, yeah, you know, that it's hard, hard, hard to, that, that's more than an act of faith. You know, that's yes. living by faith. Yes. Um, and, you know, many, sometimes people ask me, you know, questions and, you know, what I do now with the foundation is not, you know, it's not a job, it's not a career, you know, it's a calling. Um, mm. And so, what you know somebody asked well would you would you move to india if that or would you move to here or there well yeah if it's a calling and and you know i think that that's where when i think of acts of faith it's when people give themselves to a calling that's not a career you know yeah. um that that wherever that calling takes me and 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 god is leading me i'll go so when i say i know many people you know there's many who do that there's many mm -hmm. who make a career out of a calling yes. um, but that's different but mm. i it's people who are willing to give up a career to follow a calling is mm. you know i've seen so many heroes and i could i i have many examples but um that's the one i don't know if i have time for one last example on that you do by me okay so uh one of you know one of the things that we do is we try to sh at the foundation we try to shine a light on business people who are doing good uh, mm. and advancing um, interfaith understanding religious freedom and peace uh, around the world. One of those is uh, Don Larson. He's the CEO of Sunshine Nut Company, uh, the largest uh, cashew 
producing company in Mozambique. Mm. Now, he ended up there from a calling that made him give up his career. He was a vice president at Hershey Foods, big chocolate manufacturer in the United States. He learned all there is to know about moving products around the world. And then um, he had a big house and big cars, fast cars. He had a hot air balloon that was his hobby in the backyard, big swimming pool. And he said, is this what life is? Is this why I'm here? And he mm. literally had a come to Jesus moment, as they say. But he's mm. and and he, he just knew through his travels. He was in Mozambique, a war torn country, cashew industry destroyed during the Civil War. He said, I could do something and bless the people here. There's so many men were killed and there's wives and orphans and uh, I mean, uh, widows and orphans, and they can't often live together because the widows have no job and everybody's on the street. So he's now revived the cashew nut industry and uh, set up orphanages. Um, and, you know, <laughs> he's not living the, you know, the fly high flying executive life, uh, but he's changing the world. And almost mm -hmm. every supermarket in the United States now, um, uh, the made all the major stores carry sunshine nuts. And, uh, and, you know, you just go through the shopping mall, shopping center, and you just pick up a bag of cashews, and you don't realize the faith there was in that. Wow, um, that, that's so incredible. Anyhow, that's, uh, that's a different example than my wife, but it's also, yeah. you know, again, it's that same sense where you've been called to do something, and you have faith that it'll work, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and faith in God that God's leading you to do that so those Absolutely. those are the heroes of faith for me yeah excellent yeah and thinking about the meaning of faith faith in it, from a scriptural point of view you know a hope in things which are not seen but which are which are true and yeah. we find out that they're true through stepping into the dark and stepping forward putting our best foot first as well it's it's really quite something and, and both those examples are excellent one of them is obviously the really big commercial story and, and the like you say the come to jesus moment which obviously it wasn't just obviously one event. It obviously involved several steps along the way. But I like what you said about your wife in particular, because it is very much about that consistent way of living mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis, not just about the, the monumental big thing. I mean, gosh, it should be a monumental big thing to, to raise four kids in, in the manner in which your wife did. And, you know, having kids that, that spoke Chinese, did you say they learned Chinese before English? Yeah, yeah, so 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 that that's a monumental achievement, and for them, all of them, to go on to to be successful and have good careers, that that's a fantastic achievement, and it's something that they really, I think, should be appreciated as such. I, I've got to ask Brian now. Final question: This 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 episode is probably going to release around Christmas, and you've already mentioned that you're a Catholic. So, if I may ask, in closing, what does Christ mean to you? Um. So without um, being overly dramatic, uh, you know, Christ defines, Christ's call in my life, Christ's example in my life defines uh, everything that I value. And, you know, it, and it, to live up to sort of that calling, he said that we, are, we all should be perfect as our heavenly father in heaven is perfect is sort of unattainable you know you, it, it, I, 
I, I'm nowhere close to that, right? Uh, maybe mm. you are. But, no, but, <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> well, if, as long as, if, as as long as every person's honest, they would say, "Yeah, I'm nowhere near that." Um, and then that—that's why the grace means so much. That um, that his his you know sacrificial atonement uh, for each person um, is because there's that hope, there's that desire that. Um, that we should all be perfect and, and we just can't get there um, and we need we need a savior. Um, so it's you know it's sort of the all of life but then when you dig down it's you know the the aspirations and then realizing I can't attain that and then Christ provides the full meaning in that and, and I, the the other thing I would say is um, and I know this might not be, theologically orthodox um but through christ god took is accountable for how the world has turned out mm. uh, in in that you know the world has plenty of problems and uh, the scriptures don't express it this way but to me it means something that god didn't just say well you guys screwed up tough luck but he Feel, I don't know if it feels accountable is the right way to describe that, but uh, did something to, to solve that, that problem mm. of how things turned out. Mm. Um, and I think for many people who aren't believers, um, you know, they, you know, this question of evil in the world and all that, how can a good God create a, such a messed up, you know, place? Well, there's so much beauty in the world too. So, mm. uh, you know, it's not a it's not a completely messed up place, but there 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 are atrocities and there's true wickedness and evil in the world um, that continues to happen, and and God hasn't abandoned us, but you know, in Christ uh, has has uh, said no. I'm you know, He died for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's it's through faith that we take advantage of of the merits of Christ, isn't it? So. That wraps it up nicely. Brian Grimm, thank you so much for your time on the Real Clear Values podcast. Thank you, Tom. Great to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Real Clear Values podcast with Tom English. If you know anyone who is looking for success that's both meaningful and sustainable for themselves or their organization, then please send them this podcast. And if you yourself are looking to create a life of purpose, meaning, and fulfillment, for your own version of sustainable success, then I offer a mentoring program that will get you on your way. Just go to 3stewardships.com or message me directly to tom at 3stewardships.com. That's tom at 3stewardships.com. Until next time, I'm Tom English and I wish you all the best in your own pursuit of sustainable success.